Thank you for connecting to the Bethany Chapel Sermon Link. Our prayer is that you will find the following sermon helpful and inspiring for your spiritual journey. If you are a visitor to this resource, or if you've not attended our church, we would love to meet you in person. Our vision at Bethany Chapel is opening doors to God's truth and love. God bless you as you listen. As we come together this morning, we are going to continue going through the book of Romans and finishing it off. And so this week, we're going to take a look at Paul's instructions in chapter 14, and I've entitled it Building Blocks. Because where Paul is encouraging his readers to be careful about how they live so as to not spiritually harm those who are still developing in their faith. And as Paul and the other New Testament writers make painfully clear throughout Scripture, we are all developing in our faith. And so this message, make no mistake, is intended for everyone. We're going to take a look at the passage in Romans. So if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open up to Romans 14. If not, the words are going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, Please feel free to follow along as I read. The Apostle Paul writes, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. You who are to pass judgment on the servant of another, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. 
So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for the upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reasons to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. A remarkable passage of scripture that I think we often tend to look over when it comes to Romans because there's so much else that Paul is highlighting, but there's a number of elemental truths that I think are pertinent for us today. Here in chapter 14, right before Paul begins challenging Jews and Gentile believers to accept one another, as we go into chapter 15, Paul begins by addressing the questions of purity and cleanliness, referencing food and drink and holy days. And sometimes within scripture, writers save particularly controversial matters for the end of a speech or letter. For Paul, as we've discussed, the beginning of Romans is focused on all these theological tenets. And chapters 12 and 13 that we've covered the past couple of weeks were focused on moral grounds for unity between believers. So as he begins to summarize and wrap up his letter, Paul now comes around to addressing a practical issue that is dividing, dividing two distinct sects of Christian believers. The three Jewish practices for which non-Jewish Romans especially mocked the Jews were circumcision, which Paul addressed earlier in chapters two and four in Romans, if you wanna go read about that, but food practices and holy days. And so he highlights them here. See, most people, and even some philo philosophic sects at that time, had distinctive food custom. Different groups of people, different religious practices. Distinctive food customs was not entirely unique to the Jews. And Jewish people, however, attributed, they, they attributed their laws to God. They attributed their laws to the, the instructions that we find in the Old Testament. And in that Maccabean period of history, there, was, there were many people that actually died as martyrs for refusing to eat pork. It was something that they would go to that length to defend. Phoenicians, Syrians, Egyptian priests, different cultures, they all avoided eating pork. Now, by contrast, the Greeks insisted that pork was delicious, and I'm inclined to agree with them. Pork is delicious. There was even some educated Jews in Egypt that viewed biblical laws about foods as merely symbolic. And we have writings that highlight how that group of Jewish society referenced Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 as symbolic laws not to be observed to the letter. See, even the Jews didn't agree with one another. And so Gentiles, they often mocked the Jews for what they called dietary separatism because it was so distinct. And Jewish people did not expect most Gentiles to observe Jewish food laws or holy days, but they did expect Gentile converts to Judaism to do so, and perhaps including Gentile Christians, who at that time, at the time Paul is writing to the church in Rome, were still seen as a sect of Judaism. 
Christianity was not a defined, separate religious order. And so this tension between Jewish law and Jewish society and this influx of Gentile converts is coming to a head. And they don't understand one another, they don't agree with one another, and they keep bickering and arguing over who's right and who's wrong and the proper way to do things. And so as I read this passage, as I reflected this past week on Paul's writings, something kept coming to mind that I just couldn't shake. Lego. Surprised, I know. Now, I don't know about you, but I have always had an affinity for Lego, all right? Those beautiful plastic blocks, right, that I'm sure filled many of your rooms or your children's rooms or your grandchildren's rooms. If I pulled this room, I'm sure nearly 100% of you have either played with them, purchased it for someone, or stepped on one of them. When my niece was six, or my nephew, when my nephew was six years old, he really started getting into playing with Lego. And he came across this giant, and I mean a giant Tupperware bin in grandma and grandpa's basement with Uncle Brennan's name written on the side. He couldn't wait to play with it. And by the time that I had finished playing with all of my Lego as I had grown up, I had sorted it meticulously into an organized bin of size and shape and color and purpose, because after all, that is the most efficient way to build Lego. And I thought this was a great opportunity as he started showing some interest in it. This is a great opportunity to play with my nephew and spend some quality time together with him and teach him the proper way to build Lego. So we went downstairs and I proceeded to watch in absolute terror as he tipped a 150 gallon Tupperware bin on its side and the Lego just spilled everywhere. I'm still getting over it. See, all my hard work of a bygone era was destroyed in mere seconds. And this won't come as a surprise to anyone who has either played with those dangerous to step on bricks, but my nephew just wanted to play. He just wanted to play with the bricks and allow his imagination to dictate what he was going to do. He was not interested in taking instructions from me or following the directions of the many carefully curated Lego projects that I had stored away for safekeeping. He just wanted to start slapping bricks together that fit. Different shapes, colors, you name it. And when I started building a, what I would consider a respectable Lego house, I was instructed that I was doing it incorrectly. This six-year-old was telling me that I was playing with Lego wrong. See, we each had a vastly different perspective, perspective on how to approach building a small toy house out of plastic bricks. There was this part of me that wanted to gently correct him, to train him, to educate him, have him understand that he was wrong and I was right, that my life experiences and knowledge and wisdom were superior to his creativity. He didn't understand where I was coming from. He was six. And I think this is where Paul is addressing the church in Rome. He was trying to bring clarity to a disagreement on how to approach living out of our shared faith. And he is giving instructions on how to do that for two groups that just don't approach things the same way. For Paul, in this letter, it was crucial that his audience understand what was important. What was important to be set aside and how to support each other 
in the faith. I think there's a few distinct aspects of this letter that we can learn from today. So the first instruction that I believe Paul is making when it comes to Romans 14 is to not trip up others. And I think Paul is very clear about this reality. If you look at verse 13, Paul says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. Who among you has young kids or has had young kids at one point in your life? Show of hands. Many of you, many of you. How many of you waking up in the middle of the night, going for that glass of water or checking to make sure the door's locked or we turned off the stove or any number of stumbling blocks to sleep, how many of you has ever woken up in the middle of the night gone downstairs, walked through the kitchen ever so carefully because you know in the back of your mind there are about a million stumbling blocks between you and your goal. And you know that one wrong step is going to be that piece of Lego that will hurt for weeks. Those darn Lego blocks. See, Paul tells us never to put those stumbling blocks in the way of another believer Paul's concern goes back mainly to the issue of what we eat, which he discussed um, you know, in, in the previous verses that we, we read about. But what he's concerned about, what he's saying is, is that if we eat or drink and it makes someone else struggle in their faith or think that we are sinning, that we should gladly not eat or drink. For Paul, he says in verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. Paul is not taking any short approach to this message. He's not concerned about hurting feelings. He's going straight to the point for the church in Rome. And you may not think eating something or drinking something or doing something is a sin, but if your brother or sister in Christ does, Paul is saying that is a sin. If you do that thing anyways, it may mess with the spiritual health of another believer, and what Paul is emphasizing is that the health of our other brothers and sisters in Christ is more important than our preferences. See, if we choose to eat something or drink something that harms their spiritual health, we are potentially bringing harm to another child of God for whom Jesus gave his life. So how do we know what we should and shouldn't do? I think we can listen to Paul in verses 20 and 21 where he says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Church, hear me on this. It is a good thing to avoid anything that makes another believer stumble. In Christ, we are free. Martin Luther, of all theologians, pointed this out very emphatically, that among other truths, we are free in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we should celebrate that freedom. What Paul is talking about is us willingly setting aside that freedom, our freedom, for the sake of our brother and sister in Christ. 
This goes back to what we discussed last week, and it goes back to what Paul is highlighting throughout the the book of Romans, and that is that we need to begin thinking about our actions and how they affect the collective church rather than how it affects us as an individual. Paul is attempting to communicate that people, believers, young believers, old believers, you name it, people are more important than what we eat and what we drink. People, Christians, are more important than our preferences. Oh, that we could realize that God's people are more important than something that we consume and enjoy for just a brief moment. And then it makes us have to run to the restroom to get rid of it about a half hour later. That we would realize that our preferences are so less important than the precious ones for whom Jesus laid down his life. And there's a, there's a common refrain as a pastor that I've heard whenever I've approached this passage of scripture, and that is, Brennan, come on. Shouldn't those Christians just mature in their faith and understand that Christ has set us free from some of that legalism or nonsense or instructions? Yes, I think they should. But that question and that approach suggests that we play no part in their growth, that we are not responsible for the growth of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are all still growing in our faith. We are all still becoming more like Jesus. So we all have to be patient and loving towards those in the church, those that also believe in Christ. We should not be causing others to fall and putting stumbling blocks in their way. And the difficult part is, unless you have a relationship with someone, you don't know what those stumbling blocks are. Because they're different for each and every single one of us. And this is what Paul is also communicating elsewhere in Romans, is that community is so important to being a believer because we have to learn how to support one another. If I don't know what hurts you and you don't know what hurts me, we cannot be effective in discipling one another. The second thing that I think Paul really brings to focus is that we should be building up others. Not only should we avoid tripping them up, but that we're not to remain neutral. In other words, we're, supposed to, we're not supposed to just sit back and do nothing, right? That's the avoidance technique. I won't, I'm not going to put stumbling blocks in their way, and I'm going to accomplish that by simply avoiding all Christians for the rest of my life. There are days that I'm tempted to do that, I will tell you. But rather, Paul's instructing us to actively build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. He says in verses 17 and 18, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. He adds in verse 19 this this aspect that we should pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We are to welcome those who are weak in faith. We are to take the posture of a humble servant and put others' needs ahead of our own. We're not to judge. We are to love others as ourselves. We're to pursue righteousness, peace, and joy. We are to serve God by yielding our personal preferences. Church, everything about the Christian faith underscores and highlights the fact that this life, our life, Your life is not about me. When it comes to how we interact with others in the church, our goal should always be 
how to build others up. When you are more mature in your faith, you will find yourself more and more arriving to this question of how can I build up others for the kingdom? When someone disagrees with you, you should ask yourself, how can I build up that person? When someone at church gossips or lies about you, you should ask yourself, how do I build up that person? When someone says you are sinning by eating or drinking something, when someone complains about the way you do something, or disagrees with your preferences on organizational policies, when someone disagrees with your preferences, or when you make a phone call or text message, when you walk into a small group, a worship service, a business meeting, or heaven forbid, when you're on social media, you should ask yourself, how can I build up others? See, this, this is the behavior of a follower of Christ. And you can reject this instruction if you would like, but you're rejecting the instruction of Paul, you're rejecting the instruction of Christ himself, and you're, restru- you're rejecting God's will for your life. You're rejecting the heart of the gospel. Don't reject God's ways. Receive and embrace God's ways for your life. I don't want to see us as a church tripping each other on our path to becoming more like Christ. I want to see us building each other up in Christ, encouraging one another, supporting one another, helping all of us become more like an imitation of Christ because when we do that, we will become far more interesting to the outside world. We become far more likely to engage with people who see us and go, there's something different about you, something so uniquely different that I need to know what it is, I wanna be a part of it, I wanna emulate you. That's so much of what we do in life. And so much of what we do in society and culture is we look for people to emulate. And culture is so good at providing us less than healthy examples of that. Whether it be pop culture stars, movie stars, athletes, musicians. We trump up people. We even do this within the church. We create pastors and we take speakers and we build them into something bigger than themselves and we create an idol out of something that was never intended to be. We need to be building each other up to be an imitation of Christ, not the world. But Paul doesn't stop there. He has a third aspect to this. And I want, to, I want you to pay attention here because we're not talking about building ourselves up in order to make ourselves look great. Rather, we're talking about building ourselves up in the maturity of faith. We're talking about building ourselves up to be more like Jesus. Listen again to the last two verses of this passage in Romans where Paul says, the faith that you keep, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So Paul, again, he goes back to this idea of having a personal conviction, having personal convictions over our preferences that we keep between ourselves and God. And it's okay because the freedom of the gospel to eat pork or drink a glass of wine 
However, we should not argue about this with other believers. There's an element to keeping it between ourselves and God. Likewise, if someone else feels convicted about it, even though we know that we are free to do so, we should keep that practice between us and God, while being gentle around those with a weaker faith, or I would suggest a different faith, so not to make them stumble in their journey. Paul goes on to say that we are blessed if we don't condemn ourselves with every little thing that we eat or drink. We're blessed if we understand that the balance between freedom in the gospel and moderation of food and drink and gentleness around others who are still weak in their faith, that is the priority. We're blessed if we understand that relationships require humility and respect. That's what Paul's getting at. Finally, Paul encourages those who do not feel conviction over eating certain things not to do so because if they feel like something is a sin to them, that they should not do it. If we, have, if we don't have faith that something is okay to do, don't do it. This comes down to some of our personal convictions in our own relationship with the Father. And if you feel that something you're doing is a sin at this moment, don't do it. If you feel like it's a sin to drink Coca-Cola because it's vastly inferior to Pepsi, that's okay, then don't do it. It's okay. God will forgive you. If you think it's a sin to eat, you know, a pint of ice cream, then eat half a pint. That's okay. What Paul's getting at is only do that which you feel is acceptable to God until God grows or changes your understanding of how you can live your best life in glory with Christ. Convictions take time. And this is something that I think the church has often struggled with. It's something I have often struggled with, and it's something that I've seen in the church. We're very good at recognizing behavior we don't agree with and letting people know that we don't agree with that behavior. What we struggle with often is having the humility to communicate our point of view while accepting people where they are and allowing God to bring judgment, allowing God to bring understanding, allowing God to bring growth in that individual so that they make changes from within, not because of pressure from external sources. See, Paul is instructing us that we are to be obedient, that we're supposed to love those who are weak. We're supposed to build them up. We're not supposed to argue with them. But Paul makes a distinction that we are to watch out for ourselves. See, in doing these things, we not only build others up in their faith, but we build ourselves up in our faith because humility takes a lot of practice. Patience takes a lot of practice. Working with other Christians takes a lot of practice. So how might we summarize what Paul is instructing in Romans 14? I think if we were to summarize this passage, it would be this. Let us serve Jesus by building up others and committing ourselves to growing in the faith. Not my faith, not your faith, the faith. Scripture. Let's build ourselves up in Scripture, in Christ's teachings. 
Let's be careful not to make distinctions about what you and I might disagree on and allowing that to prevent us from supporting each other by growing in Christ. See, we're not supposed to trip each other up. We're supposed to build each other up, build ourselves up. And when you take these steps, you're not just blessing your brother or sister in Christ, you're also serving Jesus. You are following the instructions that Jesus provides for us. After all, Paul says in verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So if you're careful and considerate with your behavior around other Christians, accommodating their convictions, even if they're not your convictions, you will not only receive their approval, but more importantly, you will serve Christ and be acceptable to God. This behavior is a matter of humility and love, which I promise you is always acceptable to God. Unity is accomplished when one sets aside oneself and places the greater good, God's will, ahead of their own personal agendas. Now, some of you know that Kayleen and I, were expecting our first child in the fall, very excited. And whether it is a boy or a girl, I will be so excited to take my Lego back from my nephew reorganize it properly, and then instruct my child on the proper way to play with it. I'm excited to bring it out one day and see if it interests them at all. Otherwise, I might be playing Lego off by myself while Kayleen takes care of the child. But as building blocks go, Lego bricks are at their best when you step back and see the entire structure rather than the individual bricks. See, the problem is for a child, a six-year-old, when they start looking at Lego bricks, is they only see what's immediately in front of them. And when we're young in our faith, I think we do the same thing. We only see what's immediately in front of us. We see the shiny new thing that we've just been taught, or we see the thing that we become very passionate about because it looks really cool. But we really struggle to step back and take a look at faith at a much larger scale. Timothy Keller, he writes in his book, Center Church, he makes a keen observation that there is a stark difference between unity and uniformity. In any environment, connection comes from unity, not uniformity. And the best connections, they don't just happen by accident. Pouring out a box of Lego bricks, as my nephew did, that doesn't just immediately produce a beautiful castle. You have to take that pile of bricks and design something out of it. And Lego designs are intentional in their connections, allowing someone who can see that bigger picture to pull all the parts together and create something that conveys a message or a story. And the beautiful part about Lego, the brand, right? You can buy Lego bricks from anywhere in the world and they will fit seamlessly. Even a brand new brick will fit perfectly with one that was made in 1958 when the first Lego brick came off the production line. And Paul, he spends so much time in Romans discussing how we're a body with many parts. And Lego provides this wonderful symbolic analogy for the construction of the church. Imagine what it looks like to have a Christian from anywhere in the world step into our into our church, into our congregation this morning and be able to resonate with what we teach because we are teaching scripture. That's the beauty of the Bible, is it doesn't matter, or it shouldn't matter where anyone comes at it from, is if they are following scripture, we are aligned with them. We can see the bigger picture with them. 
many small different pieces, each on their own, unremarkable, and able to accomplish very little. But you put them together, you put them with one another, and they become something incredibly imaginative, incredibly strong, providing a purpose as its final shape takes form. Did it take you for a second to realize that's Lego? It's a seven-foot-high church built out of Lego. You take individual bricks and you create something beautiful out of it. And I think that's what God's intention was with believers in Christ, to take all of us as unique, different elements, each serving a different purpose, and building us together to create something beautiful that conveys to the world that this is where they belong. That is the message of the gospel. You can take something incredibly similar, take enough of them, and you build something incredibly beautiful. Go to the next one, Dave. Anyone want to buy a Volvo? It's only about 38,000 Lego bricks. If you had a pile of 30,000 blue Lego bricks, would you know what to do with it? I wouldn't, I would have no idea. But someone did. And I think that's what God understands. It's what we fail to understand so often, is we want to start building our own, our own toy, our own project. Meanwhile, God is attempting to place us in the right place at the right time for his purpose. So there's two apps that I have for you this, this Sunday. I want to challenge you to live out this passage in the following ways. The first thing is, identify something in your life that may be a stumbling block for others. Perhaps it's something that you eat or drink. Perhaps it's your disdain for certain traditional church practices that aren't based in the Bible. Or perhaps it's something else in your life entirely. But what is something that you do that may be a stumbling block to others that you could simply lay down at the altar? Second thing is, identify, identify a way that you can build up others. It's a core tenant of our faith. And it's something that I think we fail to remember as our week gets busy and life comes at us. And it's so easy to transition to tearing people down rather than building them up. The whole reason that Paul tells us to be careful with what we eat or drink or whatever we do is so we can build up others. So how can you build up others this week? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning and I am so thankful for the instructions that you gave Paul. I'm so thankful for the instructions that Paul wrote down that we can take a look at this morning and evaluate the ways in which we can become building blocks for one another. God, I pray that as we go about our week that you would impart on all of us the ways in which you can use us to build something for your glory. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. We hope you found it connected you to the God of truth and love who we worship and serve at Bethany Chapel. If you have any questions or want to connect to any of our pastors, please go to our Bethany Chapel app and choose Connect or go online to BethanyChapel.com and click Come. Thanks again and God bless you.